Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. Welcome to church today. I'm so glad you guys are here and so excited to be with you this morning and just feel like the Lord has given me a word for us and so excited to share it with you today. Um, Before I do, I would be remiss if I did not introduce you to my family. So I have a picture of them here. So that's my wonderful wife, Rachel, our son, Mason, two and a half years old, and then our twin baby girls, Reagan and Rose, who just turned one this past month. And so uh, we love them, and things are uh, busy around our household these days, uh, to say the least. But wouldn't have it any other way, right? Well, uh, this morning, uh, we are going to be uh, looking at Mark chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 12. So you can turn there. Um, and um, uh, today's message is, I've titled, God Alone. Uh, God alone. And so let's go ahead and, if you wouldn't mind, just standing with me for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the Word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and they lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that they're, what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The main thing I'm trying to say this morning is that Jesus is the king that reveals the God alone who has the authority to forgive sins. I'm going to unpack that today as we walk through this scripture here. But as we get started, we have to understand what is going on and what's the context of this story. And so Mark, I like to call it the comic book uh, gospel because things are just happening right and left, one after one another. Characters are being introduced and then exiting the story. And so there's so much going on here, but it starts with John the Baptist proclaiming, Prepare the way. There's one coming after me whose uh, sandals I am unfit to untie. And then Jesus, right, is baptized and heaven literally, it says the heavens are ripped apart. And last time I checked, they weren't closed whenever I read the scriptures. 
And the Holy Spirit comes and the voice of God comes and it says, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased, right? And then right after that, the Spirit sends Jesus into the wilderness and for 40 days he's tempted, giving us a picture of Israel wandering in the desert for 40 years. Jesus is tempted with the same temptations that Israel faced, but Jesus, where Israel fell short, Jesus comes through. And then he begins uh, his ministry, and he begins his ministry with this proclamation that the time is now. The kingdom is here. Repent and believe the good news. Another way to say that is breaking news. This is breaking news that he's proclaiming. And then he begins this deliverance and justice ministry of healing and setting demon-possessed people free, right? And all along, Mark is asking this question of who is Jesus? We see this through the first, chap- first eight chapters of Mark that Mark is just driving this question home at- with story after story of story pointing to this question of who is Jesus? Leading up to the point where Peter famously says, you are the Messiah. And after that, it unfolds the story of Jesus going to the cross. So Jesus' ministry has begun and his reputation has preceded him. People begin to hear these stories of Jesus doing these things, and they're curious, right? They want to know what's happening, what's going on here. Who is this Jesus, and what is this message that he is preaching, and how does this relate to my life? And they want to know, hey, is this real? What is this? It's been a year since we hit the initial lockdown. Whoo! It's like 10 dog years, right? Uh, and uh, man, pe- people are, are, you know, when the initial lockdown happened, like people were turning into the news in record numbers, right? Because, well, they're home, they have anything else to do, they couldn't go anywhere. And it's literally this news is just, it's unfolding right before their eyes, right? And we, I don't know about you, but I'm like trying to figure out what's going on, get a handle for this, how it's, what, I was trying to understand what was going on out there so that I could understand how it was going to affect me inside my home and my future, right, and the days to come. Breaking news. I went to public school, and uh, plenty of fights in public school. Uh, Thankfully that I was not involved in. Uh, But you knew when a fight was going down uh, in the hallway, uh, because there was a commotion. There was a buzz, and like, instead of running away from it, people were running to the fight, right? And uh, you know, you had to fight just to see the fight. Like you had to fight through people just to, because I mean, it was like packed in there in the hallway. Uh, I'm not supporting fighting, uh, but that's how it was, right? You knew something was happening, right? You didn't have to be a genius to figure that one out. When Jesus showed up, something was happening. There was a buzz in the room. Uh, there was an energy, right? There was excitement. There was anticipation, But not everyone was there for the same reasons that day to see and hear Jesus. Some people were there just because they were curious and who is this guy and what is he saying? Some people were bored and they just wanted to be entertained by Jesus. Uh, Some people were uh, religious leaders, right? And they wanted to check out Jesus's doctrine. And is this guy legit? Does he line up with our Jewish teachings? Some people were sick and they wanted to be healed right? They wanted to be uh, touched by this healer. And so, uh, and others were hungry. 
They were hungry for God, and they were hungry to learn from this rabbi, this teacher. So I want to encourage you to put yourself in the story this morning. Who are you in the crowd? Maybe another way to put it is, why, why are you here today? I think it's important that we understand uh, our why, because when we lose our why, we lose our way. I don't know how you got here. I don't know why you're here today, but I know you're here for a reason. And God has a purpose, and may God use this message to shape your why and help you find your way. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Can you imagine sitting there and hearing Jesus preach the word to you? Like, wow. Like, I look forward to that day. See, the folks in this story, they didn't know the end of the story. They didn't have this wonderful text to inform them and instruct them and guide them. This story was still playing itself out. They didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah at this point. Uh, they're, they're just here, uh, and they're looking for something. Let's keep reading. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Jesus is the king that reveals the God alone who has authority on earth to forgive sins. But the cool thing is, is that we see that Jesus is uh, partnering with people in this process of forgiveness. He is intentionally choosing to bring these friends and this paralyzed man into this story of forgiveness. I'd like to submit to you this morning that forgiveness is both concurrently an event and a process. It's an unfolding story that is happening in the context of unfolding revelation. And we get to be a part of this story. If you're taking notes, here's our first point this morning. Godly friendship is a gift from God that looks like personal sacrifice that results in doing whatever it takes to get your friends into the presence of Jesus. What we have here is a powerful picture of friendship and partnering with God in the healing process. So we don't really know much about these guys. We don't know much about these five guys. We don't know their backstory. We don't know their professions. We don't know what they do for a living or how they spend their time or were they regular, uh, were they good Jewish men that went to the temple and knew the scriptures and studied the scriptures? We don't know these things, but we can draw a few conclusions. And the first one is that this crippled man, let's call him Bobby, Everybody loves a good Bobby, right? And uh, he was unclean, right? He was considered ceremonially, ceremonially unclean, right? He was looked down upon. Um, you know, we're talking about a time in history where there were no fancy wheelchairs. There were no electric scooters. There were no cars. Uh, there were no ADA regulations. There was no disability 
uh, income, right? So these are things that uh, have made this man, uh, you want to talk about lockdown, like this guy's been on lockdown his whole life, okay? And he can't work. So this also means that he's poor, all right? And his family's having to provide for him. But for some reason, these guys are friends with him. You know what that means? It means they had to go seek him out. They had to go to, he couldn't come to them. They had to go to his house to hang out with him. And you know what? They appreciated him for who he was, not what he could do for them. He wasn't going to improve their social standing. He wasn't going to improve their financial position. He was an inconvenience, but they understood that the beauty of who he was was greater uh, than what the, the label that society had placed on him. They saw past his handicap. Secondly, we can assume that these guys knew that Jesus was in town. Somehow they found out that Jesus was, was in the area. And can I just say that testimonies matter? Testimonies are the spark that often lights the flame that motivates us to get into the presence of God. So our problem is not that we're testifying too much. It's actually that we're testifying too little. So they've heard a little bit about Jesus, and they know enough uh, between their love for their friend and their knowledge of Jesus, however much or little that is. Remember, they don't know the rest of the story about who Jesus is that they decide that they're going to go get their friend. Now, they didn't have group chat on their phone and text, right? So if you wanted to go get Bobby, you, first you had to go to one guy's house and say, hey, do you hear Jesus in town? Let's go, get, let's go get the boys together and let's go get Bobby, right? So then they go to the next guy's house, same thing, next guy's house, and then they get to Bobby's house, right? So that's all they had, that's all they had to do just to get to Bobby's house, Okay. And then once they get to Bobby's house, they have to convince him, hey, we're going to go take you to this healer uh, and he's, you know, and this teacher, and he might do something for you. Now, we, I can't relate to people who have handicaps, but they live their whole lives this way. Like, it's hard to understand, like, what they've gone through, right? Emotionally. And so... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Bobby might have been the one that initiated them going to Jesus, or he might have been the one that was like, I don't know, guys, I don't want to be let down again. I don't know, but for some reason, they all decided to go. And I don't know the last time you carried somebody on a mat uh, for, I don't know, unless they were neighbors, let's just say they had to walk a mile, two miles, three miles. I, I don't know how far they had to walk, but they had to carry him all that way. That was not easy to do. All of this not knowing what was going to happen. And so they're willing to sacrifice for their friend. They're willing to lay it down. Give, you know, if it's, uh, you know, Jews work six days, six days a week, and then they were off on the Sabbath. So this means they probably were giving up their own professions, their own income to help their friend out. And they didn't know if it was going to work. Not, so they're running late to church. Oh, by the way, they're running late to church. They 
And I don't know that none of us have ever run late uh, to church, but here they are. They're running late to church. They show up and there's no seats left. Bummer, right? Well, I guess we should just go home. No, they could have given up right then and there, but they didn't, right? They wouldn't take no for an answer. They refused to be denied. They had come too far to go back home. That's how committed they were. So they started brainstorming, thinking outside the box. What can we do? How can we get Jesus? How can we get him to Jesus? And like good Baptists, they headed up to the balcony and they started digging through the roof. My, the church I grew up in had a balcony. I don't know about you, but uh, if I were the homeowner and somebody started messing with my house, I don't like it when people start messing with my stuff. Uh, I don't like when I, you know, can you imagine they're packed in there, right? They're packed in. Somebody's digging through the roof. You know, some dirt's got to be falling out of the ceiling, I would imagine. Like, I would not have been too happy if I was the guy sitting below where they're starting to, like, tear through the roof, right? Like, dude, I did my hair this morning, like, to see Jesus. Come on, stop it, right? Uh, So, but in this case, friendship looked like tearing through the roof and lowering this. And it was a risk, right? Like, what if Jesus started criticizing them? What if this homeowner started just going up there and fighting them, you know? Like, get off my roof, right? What if uh, they dropped him or they themselves fell through, right? They're putting themselves at risk for the sake of their friend. At other times, this would have been called vandalism or trespassing, right? But in this case, good friendship looked like taking a risk for their friend. So friendship, good friendship looks like different things at different times. We have to understand the situation we're in. It's not a one-size-fits-all. But in this case, they were willing to aggressively take down any artificial barrier that was between their friend and Jesus. Can I call you today to be a friend that takes down any keyword artificial barrier? That's between your friends and Jesus. And when they did, not knowing the result, Jesus saw their faith. Saw their faith. All that matters is faith expressing itself through love, Galatians 5, 6 says. The greatest act of friendship is to have faith for your friends demonstrated through action that brings them into an encounter with Jesus. This wasn't blind or random faith, though. They understood what they were doing and why they were doing it. They understood the purpose and limitations of their friendship. They understood that as as friends, they could love and care for their friend, but they couldn't heal their friend. And so good friendship is knowing what friendship is, But it's also knowing what friendship is not and understanding and embracing the limitations of friendship. They got that. But they knew at the end of their day that their friendship wasn't enough. And they knew they needed something more. They knew and they understood the power of position. They understood that position matters. And so how are you intentionally positioning yourself and your friends before Jesus? Position matters. During this pandemic, many of us have figuratively felt paralyzed over the last year, stuck, alone. And my heart today is that 
you would have um, just the encouragement that you're not alone. And I want to encourage us to be the type of friends that go to those that we know are struggling and say, hey, I'm here for you. And I love you just the way you are, but I love you too much to leave you there. That's what these friends do. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what Jesus does for us? He loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. We need friends to come rally around us. If you're hurting right now, I want to encourage you to reach out and ask for help. Godly friendship looks like personal sacrifice that results in doing whatever it takes to get your friends into the presence of Jesus. Be aware of those around you who are hurting and go to them. Be like Jesus in that way. Second point this morning, Jesus validates and derives his authority from his identity as the son of man and uses that authority to forgive sins and to heal the broken. God doesn't, Jesus doesn't need to gain power. He already has it. He's not working for his identity. He's working from it. He's not working for the love of God. He's working from the love of God. He's not working for the approval and the acceptance of his father. He's working from the approval and acceptance of the father. You want to be a good friend? You want to, you want to do good ministry? Operate from, not for. We'll see here the Pharisees are striving for something without realizing what God has already given them in the person of Jesus. Jesus declares forgiveness with divine intention here. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Not a lot of gray area there, right? Pretty definitive in this moment. And the, the Pharisees don't like this. They don't like the way that he is going about this. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. You can't do that. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what this was. This knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Jesus starts being a bad boy and breaking all the rules. How can you forgive, Jesus? You can't do that. Who do you think you are? He hadn't even gone to the cross yet. Ever thought about that? And yet here he is forgiving sins. Not only that, but he said he's responding. He said he saw their faith. Not just the man's faith. He saw their Now let that mess with you theologically a little bit. What does forgiveness do to us? How does it, forgiveness affect the way we relate to God at a fundamental level? See, only the wronged one can give forgiveness. Our sins have affected God. We've sinned against God. There's no doubt about that. But Jesus is using his power here to forgive. In declaring forgiveness, it implies judgment. 
to declare forgiveness is that you were in the wrong, right? Uh, And so Jesus is using his right to judge to relinquish his right to judge for something better. Say it again. Jesus is using his right to judge to relinquish his right to judge for something better. Forgiveness. Who being here, Philippians 2, 6 through 8, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus is dealing with lowercase sins here. And later on the cross, he will deal with uppercase sin once and for all. James 2, 12 through 13, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Notice the difference of approach between the Pharisees and these friends. The friends are asking the question, what's stopping us? The Pharisees are asking, how can we stop him? These friends probably weren't theologically trained. They probably didn't have it all figured out, but for some reason they believed that Jesus was worth pursuing. To have faith is to have faith for others. Faith was never meant to be an individualistic, self-righteous work for the benefit of the individual, but rather, uh, man, faith is meant to bring us into a right relationship with God and right relationship with others. Do you see what's happening here? Their friendship is, is growing stronger while at the same time their relationship with Jesus is being solidified. It's good. It's good. That's what Jesus is doing here. So allow me to ask you, who can forgive sins but God alone? The Pharisee got it right, y'all. He was right. But his, in his attempt to be right, he missed the right one. Right in front of his face. Don't let your rightness miss, <laughs> cause you to miss the right one. Okay? Don't let your rightness allow you to miss the right one. See, the questions we ask determine the lives we live. They give meaning and intention to our life. They give purpose to our life because we live our life seeking the answers to those questions. The friends asked the question, how can we get our friend to Jesus? The Pharisees were asking, how can we stop what Jesus is doing? Faith is our response to our questions that are unanswered. Put another way, faith is our response to what we do know in light of what we don't. I don't know all the answers, but I do know the one who does. Whenever I get into a theological discussion, debate with someone, especially if they, they don't know or believe in Jesus, I always say, all I know is that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's all I know. Notice the questions that Mark raises throughout the first eight chapters of the book of Mark. 
Questions raised by the disciples, questions raised by the crowds, questions raised by the sick, questions raised by his family, questions raised by the disciples. Mark is really good at asking questions that he doesn't always answer, but he's very intentional because he's driving, like I said, he's driving at that question of who is Jesus. So Jesus, in response to the Pharisees' questions, has a few questions of his own. Why are you thinking these things? Your thought life matters. And how did he know that they were thinking these things? He was listening to the Father. Listening to God matters. Jesus is modeling for that, that for us in this passage. Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? What do you guys think? What, what is the right answer? Is there a right answer to that question? <laughs> Jesus? <laughs> Was Bobby disappointed in that moment when Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven? Was he disappointed that Jesus hadn't healed him? Ah, right? What happens when our circumstances don't change, right? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's what Jesus says in answer to those questions. I want you to know that you know that you know that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus does not mince his words. He uses every word intentionally. And what he's doing here is he's picking up a term that is only used in the Old Testament one time. Son of man. It's not a traditional messianic term like son of David or the Messiah. Son of man, it's a unique term. But he chooses it very intentionally here. And in order to understand it, we need to read Daniel 7, 13 through 14. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus is very intentionally picking up that prophetic promise in Daniel and is saying, that applies to me. The son of man that you're reading about in Daniel chapter 7, that's me. I'm right here. I'm in the building. I'm in the house. He's packing it in here. He's talking about the son of man, right? Like son of man. Why does he use that term, right? It's, it's, it implies relationship between him and his father, right? It, it implies both he's divine and yet he's fully human, right? Fully divine and fully human, right? King of Israel. And in all this, what he's, what he's, what he's driving at is that I am the new temple. So what's going on in Jerusalem at the temple there? is now meaningless, and it's now a waste of time. You don't need to go there. 
You don't need it. It was big business. The temple was big business. That's why Jesus went in there and flipped some tables over because they were abusing it. So he's saying, "Eh, no, you don't need to go there anymore. Like I am, I'm going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, right? So that's what he says later in Mark. He goes into the temple, he flips the table and he's making all these accusations. So the Pharisees are upset about this. Not so much that he's healing, but that he is, he is coming against everything that they believe. They are no longer the ones in control. They no longer have the power if Jesus is the new temple. So you don't have to go there anymore. You just need to come to me. I am. I am. I am Yahweh. I am this God that you read about in, in Exodus chapter 34. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving sins, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Who can forgive sins? God alone can forgive sins. He's saying, this God that you worship, that's me. But here's the thing, y'all. They didn't expect Jesus to come. They didn't have the rest of the story. They did not expect Jesus, the Messiah, to come in this way. They thought it was going to be a political deliverance, a military victory. They thought they, they had an image of what it was going to look like in their minds, and yet they missed Jesus right in front of their face. This is profound by Jesus, and he's doing it with great intentionality. And now you can understand why Jesus went to the cross at the, sake, at the hands of these Pharisees. They didn't kill Jesus because he was, you know, Mr. Rogers just walking around telling everybody to love each other. Nobody looking to crucify Mr. Rogers. No, he was, he was challenging them and their authority. He was not mincing his words. And so we see divinity in the pursuit of relationship and faith in response. Jesus is pursuing relationship with us by offering forgiveness and our invitation is to respond. Faith is confidence rightly placed and worship is faith rightly expressed. The result of this is healing, restoration, awe, and celebration, which brings us to our third point. The revelation of Jesus brings about healing, restoration, awe, and celebration. Verse 10. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. He got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we ain't, we ain't, I ain't never seen anything like that before. I love the stories of Jesus taking people by the hand and lifting them up out of their sickness. He takes Simon's mother-in-law and he lifts her up. He takes Jairus' daughter and he says, Talitha kum. He takes Lazarus and said, come on out of there, Lazarus. He takes the man paralyzed by the pool of Bethesda and he says, get up, right? You see this phrase, get up, 136 times in the New Testament. Get up, get up. 
get up, right? Jesus is calling them out. And yet, too often in our despair and our discouragement, we accept our reality, our present reality as our destiny. We reason, we give up hope, and we just, ah, I'm just getting by. Ah, I'm just, I just get by. Same old, same old. This is my lot in life. But instead, the King of Kings rewrites this man's story, and he speaks a new reality into existence by saying, get up. Get up from that depression. Get up from that shame. Get up from that abuse. Get up from that fear. Get up from that selfishness. Get up from that paralyzation, right? Jesus is speaking to his heart, right? And he's speaking to us today to get up out of our paralyzation. So God uses and turns his pain into a platform to impact his fear when Jesus tells him to go home. He turns his pain into a platform. Go home? Man, if I got healed by Jesus, I would not want to be wanting to go home in that moment. <laughs> no, Jesus, I'm going to hang out with you. Like, you just healed me. God was taking his pain and he was turning it into a platform. Where are your deepest places of pain and wounding? And I'd like to submit to you today that maybe God wants to take those and he wants to turn it into a platform so that you can begin to testify what God has done for you. And you know where he sends them? He sends them, of all places, he sends them home. He didn't say, come follow me. He didn't say, go to the nations. He said, go home. Go home? You want me to go, you want me to go home? Are you sure? Can you imagine when he walked through that door and his mom was sitting there and she sees her son restored? She said, what happened? What else can you say? And he had an opportunity to testify. Jesus just said, go testify. Go home and testify. What would it look like for us just to take our little sphere and just begin to testify what God has done for us. God valued his sphere. God valued his community enough to send Bobby there as a witness. And so in that moment, the guy leaves, and then what do you think the rest of the folks there did? Where did their eyes go? I mean, he straight up just, he just walked out of the room. He said, all right, see you later. <laughs> right? Where, where'd your eyes go? <laughs> they were going to lunch. Time to go to lunch. <laughs> so get your eyes off the healed and onto the healer. It's good that he was healed, but where did everybody's eyes really need to be? They needed to be on the healer. Mmm, it's getting good. 
And so this crowd that was a barrier between this man and Jesus splits like the Red Sea and he walks through it into his promised land. These people are now a door where there was a closed door, open door where there was a closed door. And you know what Jesus does? He doesn't just restore this man's body. He restores him socially. He's no longer considered unclean. He can now go to the temple. He can now participate fully in society. He can now work. God restores him financially. God does a complete work of restoration when he heals us. He doesn't just do a part. He doesn't do it halfway. He does a full-on work of restoration. I love that. I love what Jesus has done here. And he tells them to go home. Got a picture here of our twins. And this is the day that we uh, took them home from the NICU. They were in the NICU for a month after a long and difficult uh, pregnancy and being born premature. And when that doctor told me to go home, guess what I did? I went home. I had enough of Harris Methodist Hospital and that food court. Dear God, right? Uh, I had enough of that little chocolate milk boxes they had there, okay? I was ready to go home. I didn't want to hang out with the, the doctors that healed my babies or played a part in the healing. I said, y'all are great, but I don't want to see you anymore. I'm going home, right? Man, maybe God wants to send you right back home, but he wants to send you back transformed. So how does the story end? Well, it ends with a worship party. I love me a good worship party. Man, you can't help but see the glory of God and not respond in worship. And so we can't fully understand someone until we can celebrate them because God is always into relationship. Say it again. You can't fully understand someone until you can celebrate them because God is into relationship. Good worship is fueled by encounters with Jesus, testimonies of his glory can't help but respond. And so they finish, they say, we ain't never seen something like this before. When's the last time you heard that? I've never seen anything like that before. That's when you know you're getting into the good stuff. I want to be around people that are radically pursuing Jesus, so much so that I'm hearing the phrase, I've never seen that before. That's when you know you're in the right spot. That's when you know some good. I want to be around people who are, who are passionately pursuing Jesus with all their hearts. They aren't holding back. They're taking risk, right? Just like these guys took a risk for their friend. I want to be around those kind of people. I don't want to play it safe. I've played it safe too many times. And yet, the times when I see God show up the most, is when somebody's taking a risk. And so we see here a beautiful picture of God's work of restoration and his glory. I invite you guys to stand up with me and Todd's going to come up and play some keys. Jesus is the king that reveals the God alone who can forgive sins through a process of friendship, faith, forgiveness, restoration, and celebration. 
Maybe you're in this room this morning and you need some physical healing. You need Jesus to come touch you, heal you. Last time I checked, the heavens were still open. They've not been closed and Jesus is still into the business of healing people. Maybe you're here this morning and God's calling you to be a friend to reach out to some other friends who are having a hard time right now. Maybe God is calling you this morning to have a persevering faith that refuses to be denied no matter what obstacles come your way. Maybe this morning God is wanting to bring people around you to encourage you that you're not alone and that your current circumstances don't have to dictate your future. Maybe God is here this morning and he's speaking to you, get up. to keep living in that in that that lifestyle or that cycle get up i got something better for you i got something even better than you can ask or imagine maybe god's calling you into a new level of joy and celebration maybe he's calling you into a new level of risk for him maybe he's calling you to testify what he's done in your life right where you're at. In a few moments, we're going to finish. And guess where you're going to go? You're going to go home. At some point, you're going to go home. I hope I hope you do. May you go back a different person because you've been touched by Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you are the God alone who can forgive our sins and set us right with you. You are the God alone that can lift us up out of our paralyzed state, our depressed state, and bring us hope. You are the God alone that can heal our infirmities and our diseases, Lord. By your blood, by your stripes, we are healed. God, you are the God alone that can bring us into a place of restoration, God, where things have been stolen from us. God, you are the one. You are the only one that can deliver us, Jesus. And we'll do whatever it takes, Lord, to position ourselves at your feet. Just maybe, just maybe that you can touch us and heal us. So this morning, Father, it's the cry of our hearts that we believe that you are who you say you are and you can do what you say you can do. We trust you, Lord. We look to you, Jesus. We receive your forgiveness. We receive your healing. We receive your restoration, and we receive your celebration, Jesus. We want to enter into the joy of our Father today. And so, Lord, would you touch every person here today? Would you grab your hand, their hand and would you lift them up, Jesus? He lifted me up out of the miry pit and he set my feet on a rock that I might run. So, Lord, would you use us to run after you? God, would you restore our legs to run after you with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, with vision, Lord, with vision to bring hope and life to others. 
We love you, Jesus. It's a joy to be in your presence. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I bless you to be kingdom people, to be Jesus people that testify of the goodness of God. And may he turn your pain into a platform as you proclaim his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed. Thanks for being here today. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next Sunday in the parking lot. All right, thanks.